You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. We, we continue a new series, a great series that Graham started off called Coffee with Jesus. Uh, if you had the opportunity to sit down and, and just have a latte or a cappuccino with the boss, what would, what would some of the questions be that you would ask him? And some of the questions might be, uh, as Graham was exploring last week, why would you want to have coffee with me? Um, this week, we're going to look at what do you want me to do? Uh, next week, when are you coming back? Uh, another question, how did you handle temptation? But back to today, the question that we're looking at is, uh, what, what do you want me to do? Now, uh, an article in the LA Times in 2009 uh, said that uh, too many choices are taxing the brain. Uh, some researchers have gone through from the University of Minnesota. They said that Starbucks alone has, uh, they've calculated it out, something like 87,000 combinations of lattes and coffees that you can have. If you're a mathematician, by all the ways that you can have, 87,000. You know, there's also on, on the shelves 400 different types of bottled water. <laughs> And so as a result, what's happening is we're moving to this phenomenon called decision fatigue. Uh, anyone ever felt a little bit of decision fatigue? Oh, 400 bottles of water. Now, I, I, not only, there's, not, there's not only for decision fatigue, but I think there's the other end of the spectrum which I can be prone with, and that's, be called, uh, that's called analysis paralysis. And so in light of all of these different choices, uh, you become so uh, caught up in all the various facts that you, you just grip up, you tighten up, you, you're paralyzed uh, by the choices that you have to make. And I think Christians come to Jesus, and if they could have a coffee with him, they could come from either end of the spectrum. That You're just so tired of making decisions for life. In some ways, you'd be saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? On the other hand, too, we suffer from an analysis paralysis when we look at the things, all the different commands of the Bible. And and in some ways, I think we want to ask him the question, Jesus, what would you have me do? In other words, the deep question is, and this is why I think this morning's a stitch up from the boss giving me this topic. Really, what we're talking about is what is the will of God? (laughs) It's a great great to receive that on a Monday. Sam, you can talk about the will of God on Sunday. So here we go in 20 minutes. Uh, what, what's the will of God? What would Jesus say if you went to him and say, say, what is your will? You know, here's what I think Jesus would say. Jesus would say, make a decision. He'd say, make a decision. Because what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus says, make a decision because I can make your bad decisions good. I can make your good decisions better. And the best is yet to come. That's what we're going to see from Jesus this morning. First of all, I can make your bad decisions good. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. What a great proverb. One of my favorites. It would have been the Proverbs that Jesus would have read for a little bit of guidance when he was asking what his father's will was as well. Verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths Straight In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In all your ways, that means it literally means a way is another word for path, isn't it? So what the Bible's saying here is in your paths, acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. And so in all your decisions, in all your pathways, acknowledge God and he will carve out a pathway for you. Now, hang on, that's starting not to make too much sense here. 
because what it's really saying is your decisions matter, but God's going to have the final say. Your decisions matter, but God is going to have the final say. And we as human beings, we can't really make sense of this, can we? Uh, Our way of thinking can't handle this. Our way of thinking is it's either that our choices matter and so therefore there are consequences and therefore destiny is not fixed and therefore history is wide open. Our, Our choices matter or our choices don't matter and history is all stitched up and God has worked it all out for us and we're all puppets on strings and everything's fixed and history's fixed and nothing matters and therefore it doesn't matter how you live. Right, we're, we're an either-or sort of people. Are your head's already spinning? <laughs> we think either our decisions matter or they don't matter, and that's the way it is, and not so in the Bible. The Bible radically says that both happen, both your decisions and God's decisions happen, and they're both absolutely and totally fixed together. Uh, if I haven't lost you, I already I have now. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 9, look at this. Another example, it says, In their hearts, human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Isn't that saying exactly what verse 6 is saying here? Your your ways are your ways, and God will make your ways straight. Uh, Human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Now, why? this is really interesting. What is this? It's saying your decisions matter. Your plans, your choices, your decisions uh, God's not forcing you in any particular direction like a puppet master. Uh, what you choose to do, if you want to make good decisions, there's going to be good consequences. You want to make bad decisions, there's going to be bad consequences. And, and that's entirely up to you. So in other words, you have total free will. But it's saying your plans are yours, but what actually happens according to history, that's set by God. So in other words, you make your own decisions, but nothing in the grand scheme of things happens unless it's in accordance with God's plan. That's what it's saying to us. And already there's a tension here because we think, no, it can't, it's got to be a little bit of both. Maybe it's, it's 2080 or maybe it's 3070. Maybe I make a little bit and God does some, but it's 100% fixed, says the Bible. And this is making no sense to us. It's oil, because to us it's oil and water, right? It's got to be either or, right? It's making no sense. It's got to be all, it's either or. We believe it's either, here's what we believe. We believe it's either Macbeth or McFly. See, we believe on one hand that it's Macbeth. When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning or in rain? When the hurly burly is done, when the battle is lost or won, there we shall meet with Macbeth. Yeah, it's the witches, right, around the brew. And isn't Macbeth, for you thespians here, Shakespeare, See, I am cultured. Um, Macbeth is just a tragedy about the way that this guy continues to live out what those three witches prophesy over him in the very first stanzas of that play, right? That it's just one tragedy after another as, as all of those prophecies are fulfilled. So on one hand, we think life is Macbeth. It could be Macbeth. In other words, everything is determined. Although on the other hand, there's something deep within our culture that says, oh, it's not Macbeth, it's McFly. Uh, Marty McFly, for those of you who aren't aware, he's the central character in one of the great literary pieces in history <laughs> called the Back to the Future Trilogy. 
And, and, and Marty travels back in time uh, in, in order to uh, fix his present day situation. And what you see throughout the movie is every micro decision, every little decision he makes back in 1955, the era of his parents, affects what happens in 1980. Every minute little decision and, and what happens after they go through their great adventure and it all works itself out. Uh, Doc, the crazy scientist, comes back to him and, and he says, Marty, Marty, your future is what you make it. Your future is what you make it, so make it a good one. And so in other words, we believe that every single little micro decision it determines our destiny. It's either Macbeth or it's McFly. It's either or. Let me summarize. The Bible doesn't say that your choices have no bearing on the future. It doesn't Macbeth you. But on the other hand, the Bible does not say that you are Marty McFly. That every single minute choice that you make will, will inherently determine your future. It's not either or. Rather, here's what it is. God transforms your personal decisions in such a way that it influences your future. It influences your future, but he still fixes everything. You're thinking, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. He sent a prophet to prove this to it. He sent a prophet to earth. His name was Mr. Squiggle. It was, it was a young pup. Mr. Squiggle, if you haven't seen Mr. Squiggle, was a, a kid's show on television where you would have this beautiful white blank canvas and you'd get a whole bunch of four and five and six-year-olds up to get a black marker pen and, and scribble on the, on the white canvas and they would be making all these artworks and, and then Mr. Squiggle would come down over the top from, 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 from outside of the frame and he would come down, this funny puppet-like guy with a pencil on his nose and he would look at the scribbled mess and he would start doing all sorts of different drawings and it would look like a total schmozzle until at the very last minute he would say those famous words. Does anyone know what they are? Upside down. <laughs> He'd say, upside down. <laughs> and and they, you, they, they would turn the artwork over and it would be a masterpiece. If, if Mr. Squiggle can turn what looks like a mess into a work of art, don't you think the God of the universe can do that with your crazy decisions? With your bad decisions? That's the heart of what the Bible is saying here. And there are too many examples in the Bible of how God works this principle out. Quick ones. Paul, the Apostle Paul, pop, pop quiz. Yeah. Uh, Acts chapter 26, 32. One of my favorite lines after he's tried to convince King Agrippa to be a Christian. Agrippa says to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, pop quiz. Everyone here, appealing to Caesar and thus going to Rome, was that a good decision or a bad decision? Well, it looks like, it looks like, a, it looks like a hopeless decision because if you know the story, he dies in Rome. Um, but when you know the whole story beyond the book of Acts, you actually see that that bad decision, God went upside down. And what looked like a stupid decision, if he just not appealed to Caesar, this guy would have walked free around Jerusalem. What looked like a stupid decision? God took a bad decision and he turned it good. Or the ultimate story, Joseph from the Old Testament. He was this little brat of a guy that started getting up the nose of all of his brothers, telling them how amazing he was. And he was on a pathway to arrogance and, and self-pride. 
and, and his own sort of wickedness. And as a result, his brothers went and threw him in a hole and then he was sold into slavery and then eventually he becomes a slave. Then he's accused of rape and then he's put into a dungeon for years and years and years. And then eventually uh, it's just in this black hole in his life, all because of bad decisions. And then there comes a point where Joseph rises to become the prime minister and a man of greatness and a man of peace and he heals his family and he saves Israel from famine. All of this because he was snotty amongst his brothers and gets thrown into a hole and they come before him after all they did to him and he breaks down in tears and he hugs them and when they finally get to meet face to face, he hugs them and they think that he's going to kill them after what they've done and he hugs them and he embraces them and he says the wonderful line in all of the Bible, Genesis uh, 45, he says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. We worship a God who turns bad decisions good. What a, what it, what, friends, what it means for you this morning. Some of you, no, I, I, dare, I, dare, I dare say all of us, all of us have decisions that haunt us. All of us have decisions. All of us have little black marks on the canvas. All of us has all these little squibbles that we look at our life and we think this is a stuffed up mess. And we spend all sorts of advice and money on counsellors and advice and people to help us make decisions because of the scribble marks. And yet this morning, the great promise of the Bible is you worship and you have access to a God that can take all of that mess in your life and say, upside down. He can, he will make your bad decisions good. Which means, on one hand, you're responsible. They're your choices. They're your consequences for what you do this week. But it also means you can relax knowing how bad the decisions you will make or have made. He'll turn them good. So he makes your bad decisions good. Here's the other thing that Jesus would say. He'd say, make a decision because I can make your good decisions better. Uh, here's the question, how do you make a good decision better? Isn't a good decision always the best decision? You have bad decisions, you have good decisions. So the good decision is the best decision. No, the good decision is not the best decision necessarily. You see, you make or break your life on the basis of choices in this world. Is this the right career for me? Is this the right job for me? Am I giving my kids enough freedom? Am I giving my kids too much freedom? Is this the right person to trust? Is this the right person to confide in? Is this the right person to give responsibility to? Is this the right person to love? Is this the right person to marry? Is this the right person not to marry? We've got hundreds of decisions. And you know what? When it comes to it, there, there, are, there, are, there are multiple choices for all of these sorts of questions that you could make. There are lots of decisions in front of you and most of the options will be good options. They'll be good morally and they'll be good legally. They'll be good decisions, but they may not be the best decisions. And here's why. It's because they may not be the wise decisions. A quick example. Imagine that you say, you know what, I'm going to go and pull a, a, a family out of the depths of poverty in Africa. And so what you do is you fly across there and you scoop them off the street and you put them on a plane to Los Angeles and you give them $15,000 to start. And you say, there you go, you're out of poverty now. Welcome to LA, Santa Monica Boulevard family. Here we go. Look, is that, is that, is that a good decision? Well, yes, it, like morally and it's noble. It, to take someone out of poverty is a good decision. Is it a wise decision? No. 
It's, it's a t- terribly unwise decision. And here's, here's why. It, because wise decisions are the decisions where you are able to do the right thing in light of the incredible complexities of life. There's complexity to that situation. And so you can make good decisions, but it may not be a wise decision. And you're thinking, what's this got to do with Jesus making good decisions better? Here it is. Jesus can make your good decisions better by making you the sort of person who naturally makes wise decisions. That's what God wants for you this morning. He wants you to make wise decisions, to be the sort of person that can navigate by themselves through the reef that is complexity. And so I guess some of you are saying, okay, give it to me. That's good. This is good. I want to do this. I want to do this tomorrow. Give it to me. I'm ready. Notebooks there. There are people in the pews right now scrambling for pens. So here it is. Give it to me. I'm going to do this tomorrow. How do I get this? How do I get this? Here's how you get this. Painstakingly slowly. Verse 6 again. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's go back to that ways again. In all your ways, acknowledge him. A quick exegesis. Here's what it means. It means, in, like David said, in communion. It's a journey. Ways means that life according to the Bible and particularly the Proverbs is a long road of left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. That's what pathways are. And the only way to navigate a pathway is to slowly and boringly and mundanely walk it out. And so when it says all your ways, here's what it means. It means that wisdom is a pathway. It's not a door. Wisdom is a pathway. And what that means is that you walk a pathway by steady, repeated, boring, repetitive, small actions. And in other words, who you become is a byproduct of all those little moments and those little actions and those little decisions and those little thoughts and those little disciplines. And it's slow. And by the way, how, how well is this sermon going to sell in Dimmicks this week? <laughs> I, I can just see my book title now. It's, 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 it's going to be great. I put it on the iTunes store, iBooks and everything. Wisdom is painstakingly slow. Or the subtitle, this will take you years. Uh, This is going to sell like hotcakes. If you want a copy, uh, I'm taking advanced orders. (laughs) But it's not going to sell endemics because we have row after row after row after row of books that say, hey, here's how to lose weight and here's how to overcome shyness and here's how to build confidence and here's how to have a fruitful marriage and here's how to do all these things in six days. That's the great news from Divix this morning. That's the gospel according. You can have all of this in about six days. And yet the Bible is real, isn't it? It's painstakingly slow. And that's why it's interesting, you know, as pastors, and Graham could vouch for this as well, you know, we, it's part of our role to help people down this pathway. And often people will come and say, look, Sam or Graham or Mikey, look, what, you know, what, what does God want me to do? What do you think I should do here? And we'll say, well... I'll often say, well, how, how are you going about it? What are you doing to work it all out? And pe- people will say, oh, well, yeah, I just, I just, uh, I, I, get, I, get the, I get the Bible and, and I just, I pray really hard and I, I flick through and come to a verse and it goes, oh, and Judas hanged himself. <sighs> oh, no, no, it's just coincidence. Work it through. Oh, here we go. Thank you. Reveal to me, Lord. Go and do likewise. 
No, no. Sorry, sorry, next one, next third time, lucky. Uh, And what thou doest, thou doest quickly. (laughs) You know, like people come to it like that, or or they say, you know, Sam, I, I... I was walking down and I'm praying for a job and I'm walking down the street and, and the newspaper fell out and, and it happened to be right in the job section and I'm an accountant but uh, this, was, this was an advertisement for an aeronautical engineer and I'm thinking, Sam, it's, could God be giving me a sign here? Yeah, or or I, pr- I prayed really, really hard. I've been praying hard all week. I, I've come to church four times in a row this month. And I'm praying really hard. And you know what? Like, I'm just working myself into a spiritual lather here. I'm just in the sweet spot of God's revelation here. And you know what? I'm just not getting a peace about it. It just doesn't feel right. You, you think that's God saying I should or should do it? Look, what a. Oh, look, I'm not saying that God can't work these ways, by the way. He's the God of the universe. But it's, it's not probable, but it's possible. Uh. But here's a question. What's, what are these sorts of people really doing? E- either option, they're looking for a technique so they don't have to walk the pathway of wisdom. They're looking, they're looking for a technique. So when people say, I'm looking for a sign or I want peace or it just popped out of the Bible at me, uh, this, this can't be right unless I get a peace. I guess the answer is you've got a brain, make a decision. Make a decision. Don't sit around trying to guess God's will. You've got a brain. They're saying, how can you tell me to do that? I'm trying to be spiritual here. I'm in the lather. I'm trying, how dare you tell me not to be spiritual? Jesus would say, make a decision. Because here's what you're really saying. You're really saying, Sam or pastor or Jesus for that matter, I want you to help make a decision for me without me walking the pathway of wisdom. Maybe you don't have wisdom this morning. Us who are a little bit younger, we, we know that full well. Uh, and that's, that's our own destiny. That's our own path that we need to walk. But it's your ways, remember, that you have to walk this out. It's like the difference between, I, I don't know, a full, six-year-old kid says, Mommy, can I, can I go and play? I just want to go and play. And mum says, well, it's 5.30 at night, sweetheart, so yeah, you can play with your dollies a little bit more, but we're having dinner at 6 o'clock, so it's fine. Okay, you go and do that. The, the same little girl 20 years later is at university on the other side of the, the country, and mum gets a phone call. Mummy, um, all the girls are outside playing frisbee, just wondering, can I go and play? And what, what, what do you think mum's going to say? I don't know. You're the master of your own schedule. You know what classes you've got to study for. You know what you've got to eat and how you've got to eat. Make a decision for yourself. That's exactly what God wants us to be this morning. The sort of people who can work this out for ourselves. I think so many Christians keep approaching God like a 20-year-old at university. And he's saying, I've, I've created you to work this out for yourself. Because remember, we're halfway through... I, even if you make a stupid decision, I'm going to make it good. And if you make a wise, uh, good decision, I'm going to make it wise. So make a decision. That leads us to the last point. Because I recognize this morning that there are different ways of asking God, what do you want me to do? 
that can be out of the youthful, enthusiastic, uh, spiritual fervor that says, Lord, I just want to know your will. (laughs) But I recognize that there are some friends here this morning as well that ask God uh, with a tone that says, God, what do you want me to do? You can come at this question from an eagerness or you can come at it from a tiredness. I guess the question is, what, what do we do when it seems like at the time that no good can come out of any decision that we make? What if you're in a point in your life this morning where no decision that you can make, you, you're saying no decision can bring, bring any good out of the situation that I'm in at the moment. And that's where Jesus says the best is yet to come. Verse 11. It says, my son. Now, by the way, when it says my son, this was a Solomon writing to a boys' school. In, in context, uh, he, was, he was writing uh, to, to, to what would be a boys' school. So when he says my son, he's trying to get across this fatherly love that he has uh, for these young boys as he's passing stuff down, this wisdom. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves As a father, the son he delights in. Here's what this means here. (laughs) Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise the Lord's way of life. Don't despise the Lord's agenda for your life is what it means here. In other words, don't refuse to imagine anything different from what God is doing in your life right now. Because what happens is you get, a, you get a Christian sulkiness about you. Have you ever seen Christians like that? They tend to sulk their way through life. They get a sulkiness. Now, that's a normal thing. It, it happens. It's, it's part of the process. But it, you know, it's also normal for, for five-year-old kids again. You know, imagine, imagine that you go, you're going into your, into your, your child and uh, they're, on, they're on the Xbox playing Mario Kart or whatever or James Bond or one of these latest whiz-bang games and, and you walk in and you say, darling, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. And they're so absorbed in the stupid video game, they say, I don't want to do that, I don't want to play James Bond. No, no but you, you don't understand. Dis, Dis, Disneyland, they've never been before. I don't care. I'm playing James Bond. Go away, mum. No matter how much you try and explain it to the kid, you're never going to get it through their little head that there is something more than they could possibly imagine waiting for them right outside the door. You see, the the kid either refuses to go or they go extremely angry (laughs) with you to Disneyland. Now, here's the question. What if, what if the kid goes and has no prior agenda? What if there is no Xbox? What if there is no distraction? What if you walk into their room and you, you run to the bed and you say, sweetheart, we're going to Disneyland today. Now, at the least, they'll go to Disneyland indifferent. Oh, yeah, whatever. But when they do, their eyes are going to be open to a world that they go, I just can't believe this ever existed. Why didn't you tell me about this before, Mum? This is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. Xbox sucks compared to this, Mum. It sucks compared to this. I'm never playing James. Can we live here, Mum? Can we live here? Can we do this? If, if there's no alternate agenda, you at least go indifferent. But if, there's an, if there is an alternate agenda, if there's Xbox agenda, the nature of the human heart is such that you'll always go kicking and screaming into something different. 
The nature of the human heart is such that if you challenge it, you'll say, there can't possibly better be anything better than what I imagine right now, so therefore I'm going to go forward angry, I'm going to go forward bitter, I'm going to go forward frustrated, I'm going to go forward resentful. Now, there, guys, there are plenty of Christians like this. Commentators call it the negative will of God theory. They live their life in Christianity on the basis of, here's how they determine what the will of God is. Um, it's got to hurt, or it sucks, or it's no fun. That, that's how they know that they're in the sweet spot, in the negative will of God theory, is that, that God's, God's discipline, God's, God's way of life has to be something that's boring and no fun and can't be any better than what they've imagined. And, and yet, is that the picture that we have from here? I, I mean, have, have you guys read through to the last page lately? But new, new heavens and new earth and no more tears and, and, no, and no more crying and perfect relationships and, and perfect, perfect love. Have you guys read the end of this? This, this is Disneyland. Jesus says the best is yet to come. And yet in our humanness, we get stuck in the Xbox. We refuse to believe that in the pains and the sufferings that we're currently going through, that there can't be anything better, any better plan, any better agenda for my life than, than, than this. And I guess you're saying, oh, Sam, it's all very well to say the best is yet to come, but, but how, do you ma- you know, how, how do you make decisions when, when no good can come out of, of any decision? And I've got to be real. I, I can't think of any specific example in my life at the moment where I've been cornered like that. But I do know someone who was. Because the gospel deals with this. We're, we're, the, we're the only religion in the world where we see the head of our religion backed into the corner where he has to make a decision where from his human perspective, no good can come out of this. The guy's sweating blood in the garden. It's darkness. The friends have fallen asleep. And he's, he's, he's lurched over a rock. He's probably vomiting that he's so sick. He's, he's stricken to the point of grief. The blood is, is draining from his face. And he's saying, Father, if it's your will, if it's your will, could you please, please take, take this cup from me? Let me just... How can any good come out of this? For you and me this morning, if, we're, if we've never been in that situation, or more particularly, if you are in that situation, why would our approach, why would our approach to be wisdom and to our agendas be any, why would it be above our, our own masters? And, and here's what the life and the death of Jesus Christ shows us. It shows us that resurrection always occurs on the other side of death. If you want to see resurrection, if you want to see, if you want to see the good come out of the bad, there has to be a death. You, and you need to incorporate the narrative of the gospel into your way of thinking and your way of life. And the problem is that we read the gospel and we, we read it and go, oh yeah, Jesus suffered so that we might not have to suffer. And that's not how we read it. Jesus suffered... Not so that we don't have to suffer. Jesus suffered so that when we do suffer, we become like him. That in those darkest hours, we have a God who has been there through it all. And if we don't take that approach, guys, you'll become like a kid in an Xbox. In every situation that you currently face at the moment, you're saying, Dad, there can't be anything better than what I'm experiencing at the moment. 
And yet he says the best is yet to come. Here's the problem. My best is what I realized going through this this week. My best is yet to come. Always left out the death. (laughs) My best is yet to come that I heard from God was always my success, my flourishing and and my comfort, my security. And always left out the death, but God's best is yet to come. Always is through a resurrection and there's no resurrection without a death. And so he says, make a, a, make a decision, but don't make a decision that, that's on the basis of your own agenda. And here's why, if you go into this week with your own agenda as what you imagine your life to be, it's going to be nothing but kicking and screaming all the way to Disneyland. The best is yet to come. <sighs> Good old Xbox principle. Eh? It's, it's probably the best way to talk about Christianity too, isn't it? Particularly if you're not a Christian this morning. Particularly if you're just checking out the whole Jesus thing as well. You know, to, 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 to be a Christian is really to, uh, give up, to give up the Xbox. To be a Christian is to be the sort of person who understands that by coming under the Lord's discipline and his way of life, you can step into an adventure and, and, and a picture of the future that is beyond your wildest imagination. And so in some ways this morning... If you don't follow Jesus Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you might feel like I'm saying to you, well, you've got to give up the Xbox. And I'm saying, of course I'm asking you to give up the Xbox because Disneyland awaits. If you had coffee with Jesus and you asked him, what do you want me to do? My read on the 20-something minutes we've had this morning on the will of God. So much more we could say. My read, my read is that, that Jesus Christ would, would get you over that latte. He would put down the coffee. He would clink in the saucer. And he would say, dear child, look at my love for you. Child, look at my power. I can take the worst decisions you've ever made and I'll make them good. I can take your best decisions And I'm going to make them better. And more importantly, the best is yet to come. Let's pray.